Would you stand today as we pray for the message? We are not going to, at this time, read the wonderful word of the Lord, but we will later, but we will stand and pray for the message. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray for every person in this building today, God, as we are here, God, to uh, experience you. Uh, God, be led in your word. Uh, God, cultivate our relationship with you. Some may be uh, seeking, God, what it means to have a relationship with you. Uh, God, bless every hearer today. And have your way in this service. Would you say a big amen? amen. You may be seated. Uh, Pastor and Don are out on vacation right now. As uh, Chris said, uh, they send their love to you guys. They love you very much. They're praying for you this morning. Um, well, listen, Pastor has been in a series on the parables. And uh, a parable is simply a story in the Bible that, that takes maybe a difficult truth and makes it really simple to understand. And in one of the parables that Pastor taught on, it was a parable of the great feast. Do you get, some of you guys remember that week? And he made a, a, a statement that I think um, kind of shook a little bit the inner core of our church. And here's what he said. He said, we are doing a great job as a church ministering to those outside the city, but we can do a better job at ministering to those inside the city. Do you guys remember that? And it was in that message that I knew I was speaking today, and the Lord just like, boom, just hit my heart. How many of you guys that the Lord just kind of, you know, massage your heart in that moment? And um, so today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And like Pastor said, we do a great job at ministering outside the city, meaning that we have really incredible, strong missions efforts. We give to over 80 missionaries uh, uh, worldwide here. Uh, we've helped plant several churches over the last few years. And then, of course, most recently, the Grace Place, uh, New York. And um, however, those things are great things, and they're awesome. And we're going to continue to do those things. But there's an area that we want to do a better job at, and that is the area of ministering to people inside our city, people locally. I would be... Uh, I think it's pretty safe for me to say that we're doing a good job, but we can do a better job. How many of you guys, let me ask you this question. How many of you are here today because somebody personally invited you here? Raise your hand really high. Someone personally invited you, mom, grandma, friend. Okay, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty good. I, I, that's close to 50% of the people in this room are here today because somebody simply invited them. Now, I want to talk to you today about two ways we can do better at reaching our area, our city. Uh, one of those is personally and one of those is corporately. I want to focus on the personal, not the corporate side, but just so you know, as Pastor has talked about in past weeks, corporately we're raising up our efforts as an organization, as a church, to do a better job corporately, to train you, to uh, put some more energy into some local events and serving our community. Uh, in doing that, we brought on a new missions director, Delia Beerwise. But the second part that I want to just focus in a little bit on today is personal evangelism. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, one of the things that I see that Jesus does with his disciples is that when they are called, he sends them out. Matthew 28, 19. We're all very familiar with that scripture where Jesus called them to go out and spread this message. And although you may not have a gifting necessarily to handle corporate outreach and corporate events, we all have been called as individuals to take this message and send it out to the world and the way that God has designed us to do that. The title of our message today, somebody say, my story. 
The title of this message today is My Story. And I know when we talk about evangelism, there's probably some fears that well up in different people when we talk about evangelism. Some of you have some images of your, in your mind of what evangelism means. Some of you think that you're going to have to stand on street corners with a megaphone uh, yelling at people and, and, and hold up signs at everybody and, and, and other forms of evangelism. But that's not the type of evangelism I'm talking about today. That's just a form of evangelism. But I want to kind of zero in on what it means to personally evangelize. Some of you think that you need to have a bold personality because if I'm going to personally evangelize somebody, well, it's reserved for the bold. It's reserved for the brave. It's reserved for the extrovert personalities and for the pastors and for people who really know the Bible well. But I want you to know that um, Jesus through our personal story, somebody say my story, has created us to reach our world, the shy, the bold, the brave, the introverts, and the extroverts. You know, he doesn't do it all the same way through each one of us, the same way that every person in this room has been reached differently. All methods of evangelism, though, must be done in love, and they all have their place. Did you hear that? All methods of evangelism must be done in love, and they all have their place. If we are all honest here today, I want to make a little statement, but Jesus did not call us to do witnessing. He called us to be a witness. Being a witness comes simply out of who we are. It's not about going out and doing an activity. It's about who we are as a son and daughter of God. I'm reminded of the story of the woman at the well found in John chapter 4. And I want to give you a little bit of historical context to the story. Um, by the way, this story is super long. Uh, Clay messaged me this week and he goes, thanks for making me put half of the Bible on the screen today. I started laughing and, and I was like, I was telling him, I said, man, earlier today I was telling my wife that, man, this, like, this story in the Bible is so long and it's so packed with so many different pieces of information. But we're going to try to unfold some of that today. So here we go. Here's a little bit of context first I want us to notice. Um, the Bible, there's an interaction in John here of a woman and Jesus. And just so you know, this woman was a lost woman. The Bible describes her as the woman at the well. The Bible also says we know about her that she is a Samaritan woman. I want you to notice that at the beginning of this story, before, as we get ready to read into it, Jesus is on his way to Galilee, and he has to pass through Samaria. And there's an interaction between Jesus, who is a Jew, and this woman, who is a Samaritan. And to understand some of the tensions that are in the story, you have to understand some of the historical context between Jews and Samaritans. And so here's some of that. How many of you guys remember the story of the 12 tribes of Israel? If you don't, um, have fun. Go back to Genesis and do a little bit of reading. But the 12 tribes of Israel were God's chosen people. God loved these people. They were all Jews. And there was a point in this relationship with these 12 tribes that the father of these tribes, Jacob, dear old dad died. Now, how many know when dear old dad dies sometimes in family, 
discord and dissension starts to kind of well up and things just don't always go so smooth. So family feuds were nothing new today as they were nothing new at that time. There was a huge family feud among these 12 tribes and they decided to divide themselves. Half of, well not half, 10 of the tribes went up north because they said we want to serve God this way and two of the tribes went down to the south and they said we want to serve God this way. The northern tribe was called the tribe of Israel, and the southern tribe was called the tribe of Judah. And if you remember some of these stories, the Bible gives us a little window of of some of this history in 2 Kings. And this northern tribe, they were, we'll call them the bad tribe, right? And the southern tribe, we'll call them the good tribe. Although they all didn't end up good, they all ended up going their own way. But for the sake of this story, I want us to just take a look um, real quick. I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17. Here's the way that the Bible describes this northern tribe. And by the way, Samaria is at the location of this northern tribe. So when we're reading this, we got to understand this woman comes from this land. The Bible says this, that they worshipped other gods, meaning they didn't just worship the God of Jacob. And they followed practices of the nations the Lord had driven them out of before, as well as practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as the local people do. In verse 17, it says, they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire, and they practiced divination, which is witchcraft. We also need to note in this history that as, as uh, Israel had come to this land, not only were they welcoming in idolatry of that nation, not only were they welcoming in the pagan worship, they were also welcoming in the women into their life and they were intermarrying. And here was the big thing about intermarrying. The, the thing about intermarrying at that time was when they intermarried, they intermarried religiously as well and began to worship the pagan idols that the women worshiped at the time. And so because of that, Judah, the southern tribe, would look up at the northern tribe who was in all this pagan worship and they called them half-breeds because they were not pure, true Jews. And now to remember a little bit about this southern tribe, Judah, this southern tribe, they were the good tribe. These were the people who did not fall into idol worship of the people in their area. They followed the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, really, really well. They followed all the book of the prophets really, really well. They became religious professionals. They began to look down upon that northern tribe because they saw how dysfunctional they were. They saw how ungodly they were. They saw how they were trying to mix their culture with their God, and it didn't work very well. Doesn't that sound a little bit like America today? Doesn't that sound a little bit like what our country is struggling with? struggling to love those who are falling into deception while American culture and Christian culture are colliding and the standards of the word of God is colliding with the standards of our culture. And in the midst of all of this, we got everyone calling each other disciples and Christians, yet they kind of mean two different things. Here's where we need to guard ourselves as a church. We must make sure that we don't get so intolerant at the sin and the great falling away that we're seeing in our nation right now, that somehow we as a church fall out of love with those that Jesus clearly loves and came to seek. Amen? 
With this animosity and tension going on between Jews and Samaritans, this is where the story takes place. Now, we are going to read parts of the story, and I'm going to fast forward through the story so I don't have to read 40 verses to you. Can you all deal with that? So I I want you to go home and read all this because there's a lot of stuff packed into here. But here we go, John chapter 4, the story of Jesus interacting with this woman from Samaria. Verse 4 says, Now he, Jesus, had gone through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Remember, Joseph was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus was on his way somewhere. He was tired. He sat down on a well. He had human needs just like you and I were. He was thirsty. He sat down, and here was this woman. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came up to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink of water? Jesus' disciple had gone into town to get some food. Verse 9 says, A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Now, you understand the context. This woman is saying, You're a Jew from the southern tribe. You're the goody, goody, goody Jews. But I... I'm a Samaritan from the northern tribe. You guys disgrace us. You don't want to have anything to do with us. And she says, well, how is it that you're asking me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just take quick note. There's so much stuff in here. It's like a whole month-long series. But Jesus quickly turns this conversation from a conversation about physical things, physical needs, to a conversation about spiritual needs. Verse number 11, sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, also as did the sons of his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become among them, in them, a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Got to take note that this water's for everybody. It's not reserved for the goody-goodies. It's not just reserved for the people who never did wrong. It's reserved for everybody. This woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. For sake of saving time, we're going to zip down to verse 35 or to verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. She's telling Jesus this. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I'm the one you're speaking of. All of a sudden in this story, We're starting to know this. This woman knows something a little bit about the Messiah that's to come. She don't know much, but she knows a little bit. It's somewhere in her history mixed up with her culture, but it's a little confusing. And Jesus tells her, I am that one. Verse number 28, this is like a deep part of our context today. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They, talking about the people in the city, came out of the town and made their way towards him. We're going to skip down to verse 34. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, I tell you, open your eyes. Look, the fields are ripe 
for harvest. And I say to us today, open our eyes, look around in our town, in our city, in our fields. The field is ripe for harvest. Verse 38 says, I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Closing up this story, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Somebody say my story. Somebody go, that's a big story. There's so much in that story. The title of our message is My Story Today. We are challenged to do a better job with reaching our city. And as we take a look at the story, I want us to notice a few things about this woman. I want us to notice, number one, I want you to notice this woman's past. We read about it. She was a Samaritan woman. This woman's life and her history and her culture and her genealogy could not get much worse. By the standards of the true Jews and the true Christians and religious leaders of the day, this woman was completely unqualified to worship their God. She came from a very godless place. She had no true fear of the one and only God. She came from a group of people who literally sacrificed their kids to pagan idols. I want us to notice that Jesus offers this message of hope to this woman and does not consider her past as a reason for her to be disqualified. He did not just offer this hope to people that were in his comfort zone, culturally or religiously. We must not consider others' past when we interact with people on our daily, day-to-day basis. We must not consider their past or their religion. That should not be a determining factor on whether we decide to share the gospel with them or not. In this story, Jesus didn't overlook this woman. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't overlook you? Because I think if we were all really honest, regardless if we have any Jesus in our history or in our heritage, aren't you glad? Because when Jesus looked at you and I, our past didn't disqualify him from bringing salvation to us. The Bible says in Psalms 98, 2 and 3, the Lord has made salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Let me say that again. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. What does that mean? He has and will reveal salvation to every person that enters this world and takes a breath of life. He will make sure they hear that message before they breathe their last breath. That's what the Bible says, and that's what it means. Aren't you glad that when God looks at you, he sees your full potential? He sees you for who you could be. He does not focus on you in light of your past, but he focuses on you in light of your future. I think the big difference when Jesus interacts with people from the way that we interact with people is Jesus sees people in their fullness, in their best, the best version of them, the saved version of them. He doesn't judge them based off of the messed up version of them. I want you to know that when God looks at you, he sees the best version of you. God doesn't look at you in your broken state. He doesn't look at you in your state of bondage or your state of fee. But when God sees you and I, no matter where your life is surrendered with him, whether it's surrendered all the way or just partly, God looks at you and he says, I can see that person walking in complete victory. I can see you 
Totally different than the way you see you see you. I can see you walking in complete freedom. I could see you walking thriving in life. I could see you taking the storms of life head on, no matter how hard they are, full of faith, still trusting and believing in me. That's how I see you. You and I see ourselves and other people with an imperfect image, the way that we are now. But when we give our hearts to Christ or when God sees us for the way he created us to be, he sees us with the nature of God inside of us. I want you to know today that no matter what your past is, that God does not see you that way. He sees the greatest version of you. God can literally imagine the day that you come walking into heaven and he's looking at you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You on a day-to-day basis wander around in our faith sometimes, wondering if we're ever going to see that day. Jesus sees that day for you. He sees that day. He did not consider this woman's past. I want you to know that it doesn't matter how godless your family genealogy is. It doesn't matter what region of the world you come from. I don't care if you're from North America, South America, Asia, Africa, India. I don't care where you're from. When Jesus looks at every person, no matter who they are, he sees them for who they can be. See, here's the difference about Jesus and many other religions. In many other religions, people have to go and find their God. I love that in a relationship with Jesus, the way that Jesus set it out, God sent his son to find us. The Bible puts it this way in Luke chapter 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Just like he came to this woman, he comes and offers it to every person in this building today. And I don't want to take this lightly or take it for granted. As I look across the room, I see many faithful churchgoers. I see many people who would potentially confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But today, Jesus asks the same question to you as he did this woman. I have living water that I want to give you. It's up to you whether you want to drink that living water or not. I see you with the best version of you. To get a little politically heated a little bit this morning, those same people that are on the streets of Iran jumping and shouting, death to America, death to Israel, Death to Christianity, they want to wipe God off of the world so that their religion can take over. Those same people that are killing Christians, killing missionaries, and killing anybody who has anything to do with our God, just like that northern tribe did, Jesus deeply loves them. He doesn't separate that. He came to seek and save the lost, period. I want you to close your eyes in this room. I just kind of feel like in this moment right now that if there's anybody in this room right now, we don't have to wait till the end of the service. You say, Sean, I feel a little bit like this woman at the well. I've got a a past. I've got a history that I'm not proud of. I've got a history that I don't really want anybody to know about. But I would love to drink some of this living water that Jesus offered to this woman. I would love my life to be impacted by the gospel in a way that I could never imagine. I want you to know today that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make it so that he could spend eternity with you. If you're in this room today and you say, Sean, I don't have this living water in my life. I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I would like one. I would just like you 
really, really quietly to just slip up your hand, and I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in this room like that that they do not have a relationship with Jesus and they want one in this moment right now? You don't have to wait. Anybody in this room? Okay, you can lift up your heads. I want us to notice in this story, we're talking about my story. We notice this woman's past number two. I want us to notice her urgency. Verse number 28, the Bible says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. Now, at this point of the sermon, a preacher can get really revved up because he could be like, look at her urgency. She left her water pond and she went out to tell everybody about Jesus. And that would be fine and that would be all well. And that would be a lot of fun. But I just want us to just slow it down for a minute. And I want us to just take a look at this. There was an urgency in this woman. And the Bible says that she left her water pot. Her water pot was the whole reason why she took this journey to the well. I want us to notice that the water pot in the Bible, in this scripture, it signifies life. It signifies cleanliness, freedom from disease, all the basic physical needs that somebody would need, that this woman in particular would need, so that she could care for her family, her children, her husband. But there is an urgency in her that she left her water pot to go tell someone her story. In your notes, she left her immediate physical need to look out for the immediate spiritual need. We can look at this water pot so many different ways. But here's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Are we too busy taking care of the physical needs of the day, the business of the day? Got to get up. I'm going to get my kids out. Got to get, get on the road. Got to get on time for work. Got to clock in at the office. Got to do my thing. Got to get my to-do list done. I got to go to lunch. Got to hurry up. Got to get back so I can hurry up to hurry up more to finish my to-do list so I can hurry up and get out by 5 o'clock so I can hurry up and beat traffic and hurry up to get home to be with my family and hurry up and eat dinner and hurry up and get the kids to bed so I can hurry up and get some sleep so I can hurry up to get back up again tomorrow and do it all over again. Isn't life fun? And life feel like that sometimes. <laughs> this woman had an urgency to not hurry so much on the physical needs of the day. I got to be honest with you. When I first gave my heart to Christ, there was this urgency in me. I was that guy, if you want to say that guy. I love to tell everyone about Jesus. I did. I had a Honda uh, or a Dodge Colt. It was a hatchback, so it had a really long, big window. Huge. I mean, this sucker was huge. And it was my billboard for Jesus. I mean, I probably purchased every sticker that was at the Christian bookstore about being a Christian. I mean, I had, I had the big fish biting Darwin. I had the real men love Jesus sticker. I had uh, Jesus walks on water and so do I. I mean, I had them all. They were just, I couldn't see out my back window, my, my little rear view mirror. Everything did not even work. I mean, I had it all going on for me. But I, I got to admit to you, I got to admit, It's easy for our flame of excitement, our urgency, to dwindle a little bit in our faith. And here's what I want to say a little bit about that. It's exciting when we all get a new car, right? It's exciting when you all get that new iPhone 6 Plus S. It's exciting when you get into a new relationship and you get a new marriage, But after time, it's just this natural process of the excitement of that new thing. 
It just kind of dwindles a little bit. In the same way that we've got to fan the flame in the relationship with our kids and our wife and in our job and keep life exciting, in the same way we've got to do that, we've got to also fan the spiritual flame. And here's what I want to say to that. A key phrase in here, write this down. We've got to fan the spiritual flame so that we, this is the part you write down, stay on mission. Write that down. Stay on mission. It's pretty normal for people to lose their luster and their zeal after time. Although some of you, I know you, are the role model. I mean, some of you, you have more zeal than anybody in this room. And honestly, I'm jealous of that. But I would say for a lot of people in this room, you don't wake up with that crazy zeal all the time. That's why our prayer time and our time in the Word of God, and our time praying for people, when we do those things in our daily life, those things fan the flame. Those things fan the zeal. And when you wake up in the day, you're on mission. You don't get caught up by the physical things of the day. You can focus and take time and think about the things of this world. We are talking about my story today. We've got to ask ourselves right now in this moment, am I, in the season of my life, am I on mission. Number three, notice the woman's field, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back home. Y'all see that? The woman went back home and said to her people, I want you to notice that this woman's field, her mission field was her home. It was her hometown. It was her area. It was her field. This woman had an urgency to go back home. She went back to the places that she frequents the most. Where are the places that you frequent the most? I want to just submit to you today that it is pretty possible that the places you frequent the most are the, is the field that God has called you to. You might be thinking, I'm called to Africa. I'm called to India. I want to go do this. I want to go build wells over here. And that's fine and that's nice. But until we can care for the field that God has put us in and entrusted us with, we heard this in the parables weeks before, Why in the world would God ever trust us to send us to Africa if we can't care for the fields that we have right in our own neighborhood, in our own backyard? Are you personally on mission in your field, your school, your hometown, your place of influence? Are you faithful where you are? Just read in your notes. God has chosen you for this place, this time, and this season to work in this field that you're in. What does it look like to be on mission in my field? I want to get really practical right now. Um, I want you to write this down. There's three things. You're going to cultivate soil, you're going to plant seeds, and you're going to reap. If you're going to remain on mission in the field that God has called you in, we've got to cultivate the soil. What does that mean? identify the places that you're going to sow in. Once you identify them, pray over them. Every day, pray over them. And not just identify the places, but identify the people. And pray over those people. I mean, I'm talking about daily. Listen, it's not about sealing the deal. We read earlier in this story that some reap and some sow. Some reap in places that they didn't sow. And some are doing great labor in places 
And they're not going to reap in those places where they're doing great labor in. We got to get out of our mind when we talk about reaching people for Jesus that we got to get in there and we got to cultivate, we got to plant, and we got to reap. And if we don't do those things, we failed and we didn't do it. And if I don't do those things, then maybe I'm not a good Christian. We got to get that out of our brain. The enemy would love for you to buy into that. You just got to ask yourself, am I on mission? Am I cultivating the soil? That simply means, is, am I strategically placed, praying for people at my work? Am I strategically placing for the places that I'm going to pass through in my day? And am I praying for people? It's not about sealing the deal. Uh, plant seeds. B, we're going to plant seeds. We're going to cultivate the field. We're going to plant seeds. Speak life into people. It's planting seeds. You don't have to be like, well, the Bible says that, that uh, we all suffer, but it's all for his glory. We don't have to say any of that to people. You have to, like, quote scriptures to people. You can if you want to. But you can simply look at somebody and say, hey, listen, man, I want you to know I'm praying for you. You can look at somebody and say, man, I got your back. You can smile at somebody. You can give them, like, that Holy Ghost look, like, hey, I don't care what anybody in this office says about you. I see your heart. I'm serious. Like, sometimes we try to make reaching people so over-spiritual when it's just, it's very practical. It's spiritual and practical, and it all works together because our prayers are very spiritual. But when we're sowing these seeds in people's lives, we're letting people see the hope of Jesus. We're letting people see the hope that lives inside of us. What kind of seeds are you planting around you? I had a, a pastor friend of mine, he'd made this statement, and I, I love it, and I, and I say it anytime I'm talking about reaching people. He said, the biggest difference between Christians and non-believers is how they go through trial. Believers go through trial with hope, and Christians don't. Here's a good, or, and, and non-believers don't. Here's a good way for you to plant incredible seeds. When you're raw and honest with people, and they know what you're going through, but yet they still see hope in you. I'm not talking about being phony. I'm not talking about being like, oh, I feel great today. And you like can't even hard. You're like, feel great today. Awesome. Can't get my hand up to the keyboard, but I'm feeling good. My hands are working great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking talking about being real about who you are. How are you doing today? You know what, man? I'm not working at 100%, but I'm glad to be alive. You know, you talk about planting seeds in those around you and non-believers. They're like looking at you going, dude. I don't know what you are on. But that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about planting seeds. I'm talking about so practical. Listen, the Bible says that people are going to know you're his disciples by your love for one another. If we never just practically invite people who don't know Jesus around us, how in the world are they ever going to see that? I'm talking about inviting someone to dinner with you. I'm talking about inviting someone into your home. I'm talking about inviting someone to breakfast. Go to coffee with them. I'm talking about letting them see your world. And then it's the reaping part. There's going to be moments in your relationship with people where you're know, you know it's time to reap. You know that reaping process might be saying, hey, you know what? I want to ask you right now. We've, we've been friends for a long time. Look, it's not like this cold turkey thing. It's like we've been friends for a long time. and I, I've been seeing you make efforts to reach out to Jesus, and I see it in you, man. I think you're ready. If you're not, that's okay. But if you are, I'd love to pray with you. Or I'd love to invite you to my church. We'd do it and we, we'd do that for you. You don't have to like seal the deal. We'd seal the deal for you. You can seal the deal, but we can do it for you. It don't matter as long as the deal gets sealed for them, right? Ask them 
If you don't think they're ready to seal the deal, say, hey, can I pray for you? And don't like be all awkward in that moment. God, right now, I pray. And that person's like, dude, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, like, dude. He's like looking at the guy with the cube and like, dude, I, I don't know. And like, you don't have to do any of that. You need to ask them permission. Hey, can I pray with you right now? And, and don't make it all weird if they say no. Like, okay, cool. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. You know what would be really cool? I've never done this, but I thought it when I wrote it down. I thought, man, it'd be really cool to like write a prayer out and hand it over to them. That may seem weird to you because you're not Catholic and you don't read out your prayers like in some other religions. They write prayers out and they read them. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we think we're much more spiritual and holy because we can do ours off the top of our head. Good for us. But <laughs> write your prayer down. Like how normal is that? Write the prayer down and say, hey, I just want you to know this is what I prayed for you. Dude, what? In the, and walk away. <laughs> You'd be like, dude, Wow. They're going to read it. And they don't have to, and don't just stand there and let it, just walk away. <laughs> Please walk away. You know what you could do with people? You could preach pray. I learned that when I first came to my faith. When you're praying for somebody who's going through something, most people, they welcome prayer. They might not welcome like, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus right now, but they welcome prayer. That's a great way to be a witness. Grab them by the arm. Be real gentle. Like, dear, dear God, I pray for my friend is going through a really hard time. I know you're the answer for everything. You love them so much. Help them. Amen. Man, can you imagine what our community would be like if we all did that, including me? Can you imagine the seeds? It would be dropping all over Arlington, Mansfield, Dallas. I don't know, wherever you're from. I don't want to hurt no one's feelings, so I'm just going to stop listing off cities. Waxahachie. I want you to notice her presentation of the gospel. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything. What time is it, by the way? Come and, come and show me a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Okay, you get the picture. This woman encountered Jesus. She left her water pot. She accepted Jesus. She ran back to the town to tell everybody her story. She presented her story to everybody, the story of her interaction with the living gospel. And here's what she says. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I'm thinking maybe he could be. thinking maybe he could not be. Her doctrine was so weak. She had no content. She basically told these people, he might be the one we're looking for, he might not be. There was a little bit of doubt, there was also a little bit of faith. Some of you feel like you need to have it all together to share the gospel with people. Some of you feel like you need to be wrapped up in this perfect little Christian package. But can I tell you, based off of what happened with this woman and what is about to happen when we finish reading the rest of this story, you don't need to have it all together. You might be in here today going, well, the Bible says a study to show yourself approved and always be prepared to give an answer. That's, that's for mature believers. I know, I get that. But I'm talking about when we're in our infancy in our faith and we're new to our faith, we don't have to have it all together. And by the way, some of us that get so over Bible and over doctrine sometimes and trying to share our faith, we overcomplicated everything. This woman simply came to these people and said, this guy knew everything about me. I have no idea how he, how he knew all those things. And he gave me living water. 
and I am different. I have hope. I have purpose. Do you understand how many people know what it's like to walk around in this world without hope and without purpose? Put all your religious stuff to the side. At the end of the day, Jesus brings ultimate hope to people's lives and ultimate eternity to people's lives and ultimate purpose when they find him. Your story, just like this woman's story, is so key in reaching our city. If we want to do a better job at reaching our neighbors and our coworkers and our cities, our story is so important. I got to tell you really quickly, um, uh, I decided to get on mission a couple years ago with my life because I found that as a pastor, I would come to church and I'd be at church all day and I'd be around Christians all day and I'd go to the drive-thru and I maybe would encounter somebody who does or doesn't know Jesus. And it was like, those were the moments where I was around non-believers and it was like, okay, am I gonna witness this person right now? I'd be like, praise the Lord, sister, thank you for that cup of coffee. Come to my church, you know, God bless you. Like, how effective is that really going to be? I mean, that's cool. And maybe if I go back like every week and build some rapport with her. But I'm talking about, I begin to find that in church I was on mission with my calling, but just as an individual, I was a little bit off. I begin to ask myself, God, help me to get back on mission. Where can I be on mission? I started going, well, I have some neighbors that I do not know. I roll into my garage after work, close the garage door before anybody gets a chance to see me, get out of my car and go into my house. I was like probably the guy that everybody was like, who is this guy? And we, we don't know nothing about him. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to start. I'll park out in front of my house some days. I'll leave my garage door open. Anytime I see anybody around, I'm going to just not rush into the house. I'm going to walk over and say, hey, how's it going? I'm going to start building relationships with people. I'm going to start making myself available for, G- for the people that Jesus misses. And you know what? I'm going to start praying for these people. So every day, when I first moved into my house uh, last March, I started praying for all my neighbors. I found out every one of their names, all, all four of their names, like in the first two weeks that I was there. Here's the only reason why I found those names out. is because before I moved in there, I just started praying, God, give my family favor with this area. And all of a sudden, one of my neighbors, man, he started wanting to go mountain bike riding with me. Sorry for him. Uh, He bought a new mountain bike. I don't know how that went over with his wife, but they started doing that. And you know what? We were riding one day. I asked him what his story was. And he asked me what my story was. So I told him, simply, I said, you know what? I was a very insecure kid. Had no purpose. I did terrible in school. I had no ambition when I was 18 and everyone was trying to pressure me to go to college and do something great with my life, I felt like a complete loser. But when I met Jesus, my entire life changed. I had hope. I had purpose. I immediately knew what I was put on this planet Earth for, and life has never been the same. And we were, I'm not, we're riding bikes. Like, life has never been the same. You know, he, he looks back at me and he's like, dude, I get that. Your story is powerful. Your story is important. I want us to notice finally this woman's influence. I'm not going to say much about this point other than so that you can fill in your blanks. Leadership is influence, and we're accountable to how we use it. God has given you leadership and influence with the people around you. And if we are going to take the message of the gospel out to the world, Just like this woman, verse 39, says many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him, Jesus, because of this woman's testimony. This woman had to have some kind of rapport with the people. She had to have some kind of trust with the people. People in some way, shape, or form had to like her. You're in here today and you're going, Sean, 
Come on. You know that not everybody liked Jesus. They crucified him for that. That was the religious people, the lost people. Most of the lost people loved Jesus' love. They loved to be encountered by him. They loved it when he interacted with them. No matter how much he was truth, he was also fully grace all at the same time. And they felt completely accepted by him no matter what his message was. Your influence with people to share your story is so important to the gospel getting out. We're going to close this up today. I want to ask the worship team to come on up. <coughs> and here's a simple question I just want us to ask ourselves. And I, I, I'm not doing this to make anybody feel bad. And I just happen to be on mission right now at this season of my life. So, Yay, good for me. <laughs> but there's many times where I haven't been on mission. Here's we got to ask ourselves. Am I on mission? Every one of us. The person who just gave their heart to Jesus last week. All the way to the person who's been serving Jesus for 70 years, 75 years, 80 years. Are we corporately on mission? That's what Pastor was talking about when he said we could do a better job. I mean... We're going to put on some events, and we're going to train you and, and help you. And, and by the way, our next cultivation round that's going to start in two weeks, we're just going to go on an all-out effort to train and equip you, to help you to understand your story and how your story interacted with Jesus and how that story is going to interact with others to share your faith. We're going to just take some time over the next six weeks to do that on our Wednesday night. We're all going to be in here. We're going to have some groups and some leaders. It's going to be an amazing time. Why? Because we can get up here and preach about it. We want to make sure we teach you really well and we equip you. The Bible says that pastors and leaders, we are called to be the equippers of the saints. We are not called to do it all ourselves. It's not the church's job to put together a backpack outreach for you to go and do evangelism and for you to go and do outreach. Although we're going to do that and we're going to provide some, some ways because we all know together we can do great things. But you know what? What if you did it? I think about this all the time and I've never done it. And hopefully one day I'll figure out how to do it. I was kind of thinking, I'm like, man, what if somehow I got my unsaved neighbor involved in this backpack outreach? Didn't even invite him to church. I was like, hey, dude, do the backpack outreach. And you talk to some of your people at work, bring some supplies together, and then drag them out to the outreach with us. We don't have to come just drag them out to the outreach. Let them see the faces of the kids. Let them see the hurt. Let them see the need. Let them pass out backpacks to these kids. Let them see their faces light up. Get them around the believers because by our love for one another, people are going to know we're her disciples. What a great witness that would be to him. How many think we could all do a better job, amen? If you're in this room today and you say, Sean, I want to do a better job at being on mission. That's it, simply. I want to do a better job at being on mission. Just stand on your feet today. I want to do a better job at being on mission. That's all of us. It's funny, but the guy that I probably look up to the most for being on mission all the time, I have no doubt that he's not always on mission, just standing up. (laughs) Because we could all do a better job. I don't know, guys. When I look at the world around us, there's a great falling away in our nation right now. People are very confused about what it means to be a Christ follower. They're very confused about where our world and where our nation is headed. And honestly, 
There's nothing more that we ought to be focusing on in this world than being on mission. Yeah, we got to take care of our families. That's part of our witness, right? We got to provide and we got to do the practical things of life. But if we're not on mission, we're just missing it. Mission with our family. Be on mission with your wife. Have some credibility with them. Don't let the only time they see you pray and the only time they see you worship, do it at church. Be on mission with your kids. Don't lean on the church to teach your kids the Bible. You teach your kids the Bible. That's like one of the main missions for my wife and I is that we spend almost every night praying and reading with our daughter. I want to make sure when she hears about the woman at the well, she hears about it first for me, not the kids' ministry. And that's great. Our kids' ministry, they do an amazing job. But I want her to hear from Daddy. Lord, help us as a church to be on mission. God, help just to refocus. God, realign. <clears throat> Honestly, God, this, this call to us to be on mission is, is not a, uh, you're not slamming anybody here today, and you're not beating anybody up today, because honestly, we've got a great church, God. We've got a great structure in place, God. We've got great people. God, we've got great systems to help care for people as they come through the door, hurt and lost. And God, honestly, there's been seasons, God, where we wouldn't be able to care very good for the hurt and loss and dying people of this world. But God, we really can now. And God, I feel, God, I sense in my heart and in my spirit, God, as individuals, God, that it is time, God, for us to rev up the fan, God, to rev up the flame, God, of of spiritual desire, spiritual zeal, God, to be on mission in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and with our families. In Jesus' name. Would you say amen today?